Hello and welcome to Borders, Beers, and Bros. My name is Peter and I am joined by Patrick and Philip, And we are just three geography nuts drinking beers and sharing memories about traveling the world. Today we will be covering the country of Belgium, a Western European kingdom sandwiched between the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Germany, and France. This multilingual country is staunchly split between Dutch and French-speaking regions, the Flanders and Wallonia. Patrick and I visited Belgium as we did a road trip from Hamburg, Germany to Luxembourg. On this trip, we were able to explore Bruges, Ghent, and Leuven. Philip has visited on another adventure, seeing Brussels, and I was able to see Brussels on a different occasion myself, while also traveling to Antwerp. This podcast will focus on these five cities and the variety of experiences we've had there. To start off, I'd like to share some fun facts. Two in particular, the Belgian national symbol is a peeing boy called the mannequin piss that has hundreds of costumes for all occasions and my second fact you can drink a belgian beer every day for four years and never have the same beer twice with between 1000 to 1200 breweries which is an incredible amount the end of the podcast we'll talk about our beer tasting escapades of belgian beer and uh give our rating and review as well Thanks, Peter. So I actually have a quick question before I start my section, um, not to be, uh, you know, vulgar or anything, I'm genuinely asking. So it's called the mannequin piss. Is that is, is, is that piss like peeing or is that a different word? Yeah, that's peeing. So okay, okay. it's kind of like reverse in, 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 in Dutch. Okay. I'm quite positive. It means just peeing boy. Okay. Just, just wanted to just wasn't, wasn't the peeing mannequin. Yeah. Right. Sounds yeah. good. Sounds good. All right. So just to start, uh, so I'm going to discuss Bruges to begin, which was the first part of me and Peter's trip. Before I talk about that, I'm going to just give some very brief stats about the country, just just you know, so everyone's aware. So in the country, the uh, Dutch people are the, and speaking people are the majority. It's around 55 to 60 percent. The French part is around 40 percent. Brussels itself is mixed. It's definitely the biggest major mixed city in the country. And then you have a third official language that not many people know about, which is German, but only about 1% of the population speaks this. So in terms of size, the cities we'll talk about, Antwerp is the biggest in the country, has 530,000 people. Ghent is second with 263,000. Brussels is the fifth largest city. Bruges is the eighth largest city. And Leuven is the 10th largest city. So we definitely have a wide variety of uh, places we will be discussing. So just to get right into it, Bruges. So we entered Belgium before we get to Bruges. We entered Belgium through Netherlands. And I remember me and Peter, we were driving and we were not happy because this was the only toll road on our entire trip. Whenever we entered Belgium, kind of panicky because we weren't sure if we had cash. We ended up having enough, but that was fine. It was the only, only toll we ended up having on the whole trip. Another thing, Peter, I don't know if you recall this, but I remember very specifically we didn't get a very good impression at first. Belgium, it just it was not a nice, it was not nice scenery upon entering. It just seemed very industrial and I don't know, it just seemed kind of ugly. That definitely will change. Um, it's a beautiful country, honestly, one of my favorite countries, but definitely did not have a good first impression upon entering. Once we got into Bruges, however, yeah. Yeah, yep, Patrick, cut you off. Uh, I do remember we're going the border from, from Netherlands to Belgium that we entered was right by Antwerp and it was right by the industrial port. So... There was tons. Oh, we were the large minority on the road with tons of tractor trailers and big cargo trucks and the exhaust coming out of them and this road that didn't seem that it was paved in the last year as compared to Dutch roads that look impeccable. 
or in Pecky Lent. So it was it was quite a big contrast to what we had seen previously in the Netherlands. So it, it was it was a bit of a shock. Yeah. And again, it, it definitely like it, it improves. It's it's an amazing country, but you know, we're gonna be honest here, there was not very flattering at the beginning. Uh, but anyway, so we get to Bruges. Not much else to tell from the drive down. And the the image of the country definitely changed. Really cool city, a very medieval feel to it. It's very nice. You have your canals and stuff in the in the city. And we didn't stay there for a night. We just stayed there for the day. And we later went to Ghent. But just to talk about the city itself, just two kind of cool facts. The highway system around it is the only man-made object you can see from the moon. And it literally means bridges. The, the name of the town, Bruges, or city, I guess, uh, which is a UNESCO heritage site. So yeah, we you know just walked around, did our basic things, had our basic Belgian foods. We got fries. We had some mussels that were very good and we had a waffle of course just things like that we did our you know basic belgium things upon entering the country or yeah the country and yeah we just walked around saw a watchtower the bell tower there the treasury we went to a restaurant called marked uh or sorry an area called marked where we ate just where we got you know our food and stuff we saw the old government building which is called the provincial hof and we believe the restaurant we got the mussels at was called the cuisine divian so yeah, Peter, do you have anything else to add about Bruges before we move to Ghent? Yeah. So Bruges, there was there was a particular it was an interesting place, I think, to start our trip because Belgian architecture is this particular facade that has it's almost like a normal brick building with three layers on top of it, building into a, a pyramid kind of shape. And Bruges, the whole city's like that. Because and that's the traditional old medieval Belgian style. And then Moving on through the trip and throughout different cities in Belgium, it's definitely present in every city, but it's a lot less. But Bruges, for for me, was kind of like the capital of that kind of uh, style. So it's pretty cool to to start there with this medieval feel and then move on to more modern Belgian cities. Yeah. So as Peter said, um, we began to uh, traverse the country after that. So we left that evening from Bruges to Ghent. We actually stayed a night in Ghent. We stayed one night or two nights? One mm, night, I believe. I believe one night as well, yes. Yeah. So we get there. We got there in the evening. So we go right... We didn't realize this at the time, but our hostel, uh, which is called the Cover Hostel, is basically a bar. It's at the it's at the Vrida Mark, Market, which is like pretty much right in the center of everything. And we did not realize that until the morning. So it was a really cool surprise in the morning, waking up and just like having awesome views and just seeing everything like being right in the middle we really had no idea heading in at night so yeah i remember it was it was parking was very simple parking was also simple in bruges you found a good parking spot in the street right away and for this market you have a parking lot like an underground parking uh, garage like right in the middle so it was parking was pretty easy um usually i don't get to say that in many places i travel to but it was simple so yeah we go to this hostel really cool place um, as mentioned it's basically a bar with like a couple rooms above it so we stayed there i remember a funny story so before we went out that night to the bars and stuff me and peter were playing pool and he had like a massive lead on me like i might have had like one ball he might have had one ball left and i had like none in and i do remember staging an epic rally and winning so I just had to throw that in there. But that was a good game. <laughs> I'd like to mention, Patrick, so the marketplace that we stayed at, the Freidag Mark, Freidag in, in Dutch means Friday. And we ended up arriving on a Thursday night, so we woke up on Friday morning. The market was only active on Fridays. So we woke up to this bustling marketplace with people selling all sorts of stuff. 
And I think it came to us as a surprise to both me and Patrick just walking out of the building and people are trying to sell us pickled fish and fruits, vegetables, random used goods, kind of like a garage sale. So they kind of had everything there. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't even realize that it was only open on Fridays, even though you have that right here that I'm looking at it. <laughs> I decided to process that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was, it was was really cool. And the, so then we went out that night, and that was a very good experience. So we, we got, also got lucky because we went out on Thursday night, which is apparently student night. And apparently it's a big college town. So it was very, very happening. We went to one place at first. It wasn't – the first place we went to wasn't like in the central – Part, like, you know, nightlife area, like the bars where they all are. Um, it was really fun. The good thing about Belgium is it's probably one of the few places in the world where you can get sufficiently drunk off beer because you know, beers are just so strong there and they all taste good. So pretty much just had beer all night and we got very drunk. At least I did. I don't know if, you know, Peter can agree with me. I think he would. I did too. Yes. So, yeah. So that was, I mean, that was great. I'll never forget whenever we, I left that first bar and went to like the main row of bars. It was just this whole street was just packed. People everywhere. You had people on the floor. You had, you know, not to make it sound gross. It was, it was cool. It was disgusting. But you had, like, throw up on the floor. And you also had this, like, eerie fog. So, it kind of, like, just being drunk, it felt like you were in a war zone. Like, it was actually, like, a really cool slash crazy atmosphere and environment. We went to a couple more bars there. They were all very packed and, and, and you know, lit. And it was just a great time. I would definitely, definitely recommend going to Ghent in general. Uh, beautiful place but also if you get to go out there you won't be disappointed really good nightlife there i'd like to bring up a funny story that me and patrick had where where we went to this the first bar that we went to we had looked up like good student bars to go to or whatever and the bar was clearly i'm not sure if it was fully rented out but there was some student organization there and everyone's wearing a sash that they're part of this organization and me and Patrick just showed up and we were there, kind of crashed their party. And then we tried to talk to the the people that were running the organization. Uh, we ended up getting a few free beers out of it. And they were very excited to have some Americans attending their party. Uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Sashi, I actually forgot about the Sashes. That's right. It was a guess, whatever group they were with. But yeah, so into the day, uh, we talked about the market. We walked around, beautiful city, really nice canal. Like, you know, you have stuff along the canal. Uh, we stopped at this coffee bar called Wander Coffee Bar. Good Macedonian guy who worked there. And yeah, I mean, you have a lot of churches. Uh, they're all really nice. And you have like, you have like a cool street with a bunch of graffiti and stuff. So yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll see, you know, we have some pictures of, of Ghent up. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing really more specific to say about it. It was, again, besides the fact it was amazing. Bruges was nice. I like Bruges a lot, but I would definitely rank Ghent higher. I didn't do nightlife in Bruges, but it doesn't seem that lit of a place. It could be. But Ghent was honestly... Yeah, unbeatable in terms of that and the city itself is just beautiful so i just wanted to mention the there's one castle there that me and patrick i don't think we we saw we saw the castle it's called gravenstein we saw it but we didn't really understand we, we didn't do much of our research before going to ghent but that's one of like the most traditional medieval style castles in all of europe and it's in that cartoon-esque medieval castle way with a moat and the wall and those little roundabouts on the top of the wall for the soldiers to shoot out of. And the central has this traditional castle style that kind of looks like a brick and then a hole and then another brick. So, I mean, basically, if you're thinking of a medieval castle, it looks like this one and it's in downtown Ghent. 
we didn't end up going inside. We we went, looked at it from the outside, but definitely going back would go inside and, and check that out because it's really how you would imagine medieval castles would look like. And a lot of times you're not disappointed, but they don't look the way you think they would look. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, you know, pretty much wraps up Ghent. Then we headed to Leuven the next evening. And then Peter, if you want to discuss Leuven, the home of your cousin. Yes. So Leuven, my, my cousin and his wife have been living there for quite some time. And I had been, I had been wanting to, to take a trip out there. And this was a perfect opportunity. It's a pretty small city right outside of Brussels, maybe about a half hour away. The university in Leuven, which my cousin was somewhat connected to, he works in the science field. He works in the science field. It's always one of the top 100 universities in the world. So it's a very good school, and they have the most patents in all of Europe. So per year, so very innovative school, and people come from all over the world to study there. So I think that's a cool part about that city is that for a relatively small place, you have every nationality. I wouldn't think in a small town like that, you would see a Vietnamese supermarket next to an Ethiopian restaurant next to a kebab stand. So it's quite interesting, right in the downtown too. So quite interesting um, how diverse this city town is. And it also has the longest bar in the world there. So they say a lot of places when you look at Belgium and Netherlands, especially, there's lots of places where a bunch of bars are connected in some sort of row and they try to serve a ridiculous number of beers. And they all try to claim that they're either the longest bar, the largest bar, serve the most beers in the world. This seems to be disputed facts between many Belgian and Dutch cities, but particularly in Leuven, they do with they do have 37 bars in one row. So that's why they call it the longest bar in the world. 37 is a pretty high number. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually true. Anyway, that's at a place called the Udemacht. And that's right in front of the university. They also have a crazy library, magnificent building. It's the library of the Catholic University of the city. That library was destroyed. A good part of it was destroyed um, in World War II. But a lot of universities from across the world spent money to, to redo the building because it's a massive library and there's interesting my cousin wanted to point out to me that there's little stones all over the building that say who are the donors that helped rebuild it and a lot of american universities are on there too which was pretty cool so it was cool to see that money came from all over the world even the u.s to try to re- rebuild this library because it had such a significant importance in, in academia and we also checked out the Stadthaus, which is the town hall there. And that is a UNESCO building, quite beautiful building, really nice facade in this Gothic style architecture with limestone. It's right in downtown Leuven. Most pictures of the city talk about that as being the place to go. And furthermore, we went to a restaurant called Domus, my cousin, and that was a great place to try traditional Belgian food and more of the landlocked food. So more stews, more meat, noodles we we enjoyed a nice meal there but usually when people think of belgian food usually on the other side of things talking about mussels and fries but this place had had more of the the landlocked food there too which was great and they also brewed their own beer so we we had we had a tasting tray there as well speaking of beer Leuven is the famous home of stella artois 
which is not actually a popular beer in Europe. But for our American listeners, you know how popular that beer is and how easy it is to get it over in the U.S. So it's it pretty cool to see the home city of that brewery. Peter, before uh, before we wrap up Leuven and then go to Phil uh, for Brussels, I do want to – do you recall – and Phil's going to talk about sports later. Do you recall who lived in your cousin's neighborhood? He told us who it was. I can't remember. It was someone on the – major player on the team. I forget who he was. This is annoying me now, but maybe – Yeah, he lived like across the street from my cousin. I don't remember which, which yeah, player I can't recall. Uh, it was. But maybe we'll remember it later. Um, but yeah, I just have one quick funny story about your cousin. So we stayed at his cousin's place. He was very, you know, grateful and gracious to have us there. But in the morning before when they left, I accidentally broke a glass. And, you know, this is not my family. I'm in a foreign country. I was kind of like nervous <laughs> about it. And, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, just typical things. So I was like, crap, Peter, what do I do? Like I went to Peter. I was like, shoot, dude, I broke this dude's glass. What do I do? And to my to my delight, Peter was like, eh, who cares? We'll just throw it away and not tell him. So Peter's cousin, I forget your name. I apologize. But if you're listening to this podcast, I broke your glass. So if you ever realize you were a glass short, that, that is why. So, all right. <laughs> Patrick, I actually in- informed him later on, but okay. I waited to do it in person about four months later. Fair, um, fair, fair. <laughs> I told him I broke the glass. And he okay. said, oh, I thought there was one less. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. He didn't mind. He didn't mind. He was okay with it. Good, good. All right. Philip, you want to take us to Brussels? Oh, I will take us to Brussels. Nice. Yes. Um, okay. So, yeah, like Peter mentioned, we fortunately did not have the opportunity to go to Brussels as a squad as we were fortunate enough to go to Croatia, but um, maybe in the near future. But um, anyway, when we got to Brussels, it was actually on – I got to Brussels on a – it was like a – layover to going to visit Peter in Hamburg. So if you're looking at Brussels as a potential layover spot, you know, this section of the podcast will be helpful for you. So we get to Brussels, I believe from DC. It was a quick flight. And there's a train that immediately takes you from Brussels Zaventum Airport, Brussels Central Station. That and that train station runs every ten minutes between five a.m. and midnight, seven days a week. So it's a very easy and very flexible schedule. Um, the ride took like eighteen twenty minutes. It cost us around twelve euros, so it was very inexpensive. I believe Peter took the bus, which he'll talk about later. Anyway, the train takes drops you off at the state, the central station, which is only a five minute walk. Um, you know the Grand Place, which is this pretty much this central little plaza that has like these beautiful buildings in, in Brussels. I mean, I'm sure you've seen photos of it. So we get there and it's like 6 a.m. because the layover was a bit of a weird time. So my impression of Brussels is definitely of, you know, a different one than arriving on like, say, Wednesday at like noon. So it, it seems like a lot of people, you know, it's like very empty. It's very quiet. We went to Neuhaus, which is this amazing Belgian cho- chocolate shop right on the grand place which was definitely crowded still even at that time apparently mary's also has good chocolate according to peter a place named mary's so he will discuss that in greater detail and so there wasn't many things open as i said we got there very early so we went to a waffle shop called au gaufre de bruxelles which was which was yummy i mean i don't think it was my expectations were much higher 
the waffles and fries, but that's what we ordered. But, you know, they were still great nonetheless. It had good reviews looking back on it, but I didn't have service, so I couldn't even see. Um, and then from there, we went to the Royal Palace of Brussels, which has really nice gardens. Um, and then we walked around to the Galerie de la Reine, which was like a shopping mall, but it was almost like a shopping mall that was converted from this like historic tunnel that was really beautiful. It's great. There's great photos of it. Um, and then I walked by what Peter described was as the mannequin piss, only five minutes away from the grand place. And it's quite literally a boy, you know, like a fountain of a boy just peeing and like, you know, just pissing the water into this little. So, yeah, it is weird. I don't know why they have so much pride in that, but, you know, to each their own. Phil, you're going to go into the history of that a little bit? I will. I will. So there's several legends behind this mannequin piss. But the most famous one is about Duke Godfrey III of Leuven. Um, and that history is, in, in 1142, the troops of his two-year-old lord were battling against the troops of the Berthouts, the lords of Grim, Grimbergen and Ransbeck. Troops put the infant lord in a basket, hung the basket in a tree to encourage them. There the boy urinated on the troops of the Berthouts, who eventually lost the battle. So, you know on the other troops won in the battle so that that's one of the most famous legends of the mannequin piss so anytime you you know stuck at home right now because of quarantine you know you're using the restroom just think of great legend of mannequin piss and then from there from there we went to Parc de Bruxelles it was in the winter so there wasn't much to see it kind of looked desolate to be honest there was no like greenery and was the fountain was shut down so it just looked very like soviet soviet-esque very run down and cheap but i've seen pictures of it in the summer and it's beautiful and so besides those main things we just walked around and just being able to see the different architecture especially when it wasn't that crowded going at that hour it was very nice we ended up seeing the parliament of belgium and for some reason i could never find the eu parliament I tried to like look it up on my phone when I had Wi-Fi and it would take me to one location, which was the wrong location. I was never able to see it, which, you know, we tried, tried, I think, for like an hour and a half, two hours to see it. And then we walked by the U.S. Embassy, which was weird because we saw it was really well guarded with like four Belgian soldiers, like, you know, carrying like machine guns. I'm not, I'm not sure what reason. I don't know if there was like that's like permanently there. Or... Oh, Phil, I have, a, I have a point on that. Okay. I went six months later, same situation. I also thought it was very strange. I, I'm not. I'm, of course, it's building. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful building. I mean, that's that's good to hear because I was like, I wonder if that this is just like some current event, current issue, or whatever. But it was it was very strange. I yeah, I went with Hannah, and she also found it very strange as well. So I pretty much wrapped up our trip of Belgium. I mean, of Brussels specifically. It's very very easy to go as a layover and see a lot of the city i think we had six hours there i felt like we walked away having seen a lot of it but so i mean to the point of the eu parliament we couldn't personally find it hannah couldn't personally find it we tried but i don't know we tried to look for the signs because brussels is a city with a lot of signs for many of its monuments for some reason we none of the eu parliament signs were in our area but i mean we were 0.5 miles or kilometers away from mannequin piss and it made it very clear where to go from there. There were signs for monuments like that. So we definitely did not miss the mannequin piss. And that's, that's it. That was our wrap up of, of Brussels. 
very easy city to walk through and very uh, manageable to do on a layover. So I will be jumping into sports a little bit. Okay. As many of our sports fanatics may know, Belgium is number one in the FIFA World Cup rankings, which is, the, which is a first for the country. Um, they've been having more and more success in the world stages. They finished third in the 2018 World Cup due to having great players like Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, Thibaut Courtois. And those are big players in the English Premier League. But their best finish in the Euro Cup was second in 1980 to West Germany. So they're certainly going through a golden era right, right now. In terms of sports leagues, Belgium First Division has only been in play for 10 years now, but the competition was created in 1895. So just like many leagues go through, you know, the Premier League became the Premier League in 1990. Uh, the Belgian First Division became the First Division in 2010. So it's just the commer commercialization of these sports leagues in Europe. Belgian club has never won Champions League. Anderlecht, which is one of the clubs, won Europa League in 1982. And Club Bruges finished second to the mighty Liverpool in 1875. In terms of league qualifications, if you finish first in the league, you enter the Champions League group stage. Second enters Champions League qualifying. Third enters Europa League qualifying. Um, and then the cup winner, they have a Belgium cup, enters the Europa League group stage. Yeah, so in terms of tennis, they have great stars like Kim Kleisters, Justine Hennen, and currently uh, David Goffin. Um, Kim Kleisters won the Australian one time. She won the US Open three times and finished number one in the world. Um, she, won one of, she won two of her US Open titles after having come back from retirement with like, I believe two children. So that was very impressive. I remember watching that live. In terms of Justine Hennen, she won the French Open four times and is known as being one of the best female clay court players of all time. She won the Australian Open once and the US Open twice, and unfortunately never was able to win Wimbledon. So she couldn't complete the career Grand Slam, which means winning all the Grand Slams. Um, but she did get a gold medal at the Olympics. So you can see Belgium has a rich tennis history especially with female tennis. In terms of David Goffin, he's the, the highest ranked Belgian player right now. Watched him play live in New York, the US Open, when he got pummeled by Roger Federer. And I went with my friend Eno, and that was a great memory, but it's still great for Belgian tennis. I mean, it's not the prowess it was 10 years ago, but they still have players coming up. So in terms of F1, this is um, a sport that's beloved by many Belgians. Um, it, it's home to one of the most famous racing circuits called Spa. Full name is Spa Francorchamps. It's an amazing uh, Formula One circuit that's known for its very unpredictable weather throughout the years, which makes the Grand Prix historic and has led to many um, iconic races. At one stage in its history, it had reigned at the Belgian Grand Prix for 20 years in a row. That sort of adds to the element of difficulty in terms of racing it. It's one of the reasons why so many drivers really, really love to win the Belgian Grand Prix as a part of their own uh, bucket list or personal goals. So that's really all I have for sports. Now I will be uh, giving it to my man, Peter. Oh, Phil, I actually have a comment on the, on the Spa Grand Prix. So Spa is also, besides the Grand Prix, very well known for water. The biggest water brand in, in Belgium is Spa from that city 
And that is also the, I think, I know it's the biggest water brand in the Netherlands. It might as well be the wow. Luxembourg as well. But you'll see people walking around with spa, spa bottles of water. Okay, so it's, it's, it's sort of like the Evian of Belgium. I would say yes. Okay. Okay. Very cool. I never knew that. Or the Poland Spring of the Northeast. Oh, also that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, that's that's very cool. Never knew that. And so I, I, I guess you can be providing more input on your trip to Brussels. Yeah, sure. So before we go into my experience in Brussels, we're just going to take a short break. have just heard a snippet of the Belgian national anthem. I hope you enjoyed it. I think that's fitting to talk about the rest of Brussels. In Brussels, I had a different experience with than Phil where I did not have a layover, but I was actually there for a week. I had gone with my university there to learn about lobbying and the EU. So a little, for our, especially for our American audience, actually turns out when we went to the, to the EU, a lot of my German colleagues also learned quite a bit of information about their uh, their governmental organization as well. So the EU split up into the Commission, the Parliament, and the Council, and those three buildings are in Brussels. Uh, so it's really the the de facto capital of the EU. Uh, the only difference is that you have the Parliament, which is in Brussels and in Strasbourg. So they split the time between the two places: Strasbourg, France. Um, then you have the European Court of Justice, which is in Luxembourg. There are other EU institutions scattered around the EU, of course, but those those are the big ones. Yeah, you have the I guess the the central bank as well, which is in Frankfurt. But Brussels is really the kind of the the Washington D.C. of the EU. So I ended up I got to go to the Commission and the Parliament, which was a great experience. Unlike Phil, I was able to find it, uh, find the buildings. They are elusive. They're, I mean, they're, they're in their whole their own quarter in the city. It's called the European Quarter. And that's actually where I stayed when I went. So me and my classmates, we rented a whole townhouse, which was a lot of fun to rent and right in the European Quarter, which is really nice. Highly recommend it, even if you're not going to go stay and see the EU. But good walking access. Uh, we were able to walk basically everywhere. The, you can walk to this. You can walk to the um, to the old town in, in Brussels, to a lot of the churches, the presidential uh, palace and everything. So you could you could see a lot there. So I'm going to, because I, I was in meetings a lot of the time I was in Brussels, I was able to see a lot still, all the things that Phil's able to see. But I'm going to add now some some restaurants and breweries that I highly recommend. Mortsubit is a brewery in uh, in Brussels, also like a small, small cafe. And that's the famous Belgian Lambic beer, uh, which they serve. So that's, that's a fruit beer. You can have beer with different flavors, raspberry, mango, so on and so forth. Um, Mortsubit is a quite well-known place in the city for that. Uh, you also have the Delirium Cafe. And the Delirium Cafe is crazy uh, because it's not just one building, it's five buildings and it's its own alley. Uh, Delirium is one of the most famous brands of Belgian beer. Uh, you might have seen it before if you don't know it yourself by its logo of a pink elephant. Uh, sometimes you'll see it on an umbrella at a restaurant. 
um, or or on a menu uh, all over the world. It's it's quite popular, and that's one of the more heavy Belgian beers that Patrick was talking about in his uh, in his Ghent section. And this beer in particular, the brewery of course makes that, but the the cafe in in Brussels sells two thousand beers, and they claim to be to sell the most beers in the world from any any uh, cafe. So that place is quite crazy. Highly recommend it. Really fun time, good atmosphere, and really cool to try beers, not just from Belgium, but from all over the world. They have a very exotic menu. At some other restaurants that I'd like to mention, some restaurants I'd like to mention in general would be La Rue d'Or. Uh, this is in the near Grand Place. Uh, it's a great traditional Belgian restaurant serving a very nice mussels and fries. Uh, and as well as basically every other standard Belgian dish. Um, and it's a very traditional Belgian, Franco-Belgian cafe style. So if you want for a nice sit-down meal, I'd highly recommend that place. Um, my cousin, actually, he drove me to from Leuven to Brussels. And we went to, he's from Italy. And he said, Peter, there's, there's this pizza. This is the best pizza I've had outside of Italy. So no way. Uh, we went to it. It's called Nona Pizza. Wow. It is outstanding. Highly recommend going to it. The guys make Naples-style pizza, and it's fantastic. It tastes really similar to, to what you have in Italy. And they make most of their own stuff, lots of stuff organic. So besides it being really good pizza, it has really good stuff in it. That You can really taste the quality. It's outstanding. And Bel- Belgium, uh, Brussels in particular, Bel- I mean, Belgium's a pretty diverse country. They've taken a lot of uh, immigrants and particularly lots of different uh, African countries have a decent migrant population in Brussels. So I ended up going to this Ethiopian restaurant called Kokob. I love Ethiopian food. Me, Patrick, and Phil in D.C., Ethiopian food's a staple down there. So finding a good Ethiopian place was very exciting. And Kokob is, is really fantastic to kind of get the other aspect of, of Brussels, not just as a European capital, but also Brussels as a city and the diversity in the city. Highly recommend eating some Ethiopian there. Also on my my journey, I was able to go see uh, the Atomium, which is a big landmark of, of Brussels, which is, a, if you don't know the, the building, it was made for the World's Fair that happened right after World War II in, in Belgium. And as this was the start of the nuclear era, Everyone was interested in science and nuclear physics and all of this kind of thing. And at this World's Fair, they decided to build a very large atom structure called the Atomium. And this is, I would say, the height of a 20-story building. It's a very large atom structure that you can go inside of each particular, these nucleuses, nuclei. And you can go look around. There's there's an exhibit in there to talk about the World's Fair, how it was in Belgium, and with incredible views of the city as well. So I, I recommend going there. Um, in, in the gift shop and in the surrounding area, there's a lot of stuff that talks about another thing that Belgium's famous for, cartoons. So famous cartoons like Tintin and the Smurfs are from Belgium. And I remember going to the gift shop there, and there was everything have to do with Tintin and the Smurfs. I mean, a lot of the decor in and around the Atomium had to do with these cartoon characters, especially for the kids that wanted to visit the, the structure. Another a fun experience I'd like to share was if you're in Brussels on a Wednesday night, you can still do late night karaoke till 3 a.m. It was done. 
uh, it was very fun. So there, there is some, some nightlife to go at any, any time in the week in Brussels, but I would definitely say Brussels, I mean, Brussels also known for the DJs as well. Uh, we, we got, I got to go to some clubs and hear some really good Belgian DJs as well. That was in and around the area called St. Catherine, which is a district with lots of restaurants, bars, and clubs. So that was a great experience and really cool. For those who don't know, uh, Belgian DJs are particularly renowned. Uh, Belgium hosts the Tomorrow World Festival, usually. And that is a crazy club festival, probably, probably one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest. And the DJs that come from Belgium are really good. Me and Patrick also had experienced that in Ghent. Really great DJs at all the clubs and bars there, too. So uh, definitely check out the Belgian nightlife and uh, how good their music is. So moving forward, I think that's all I really wanted to say about Brussels in general. Uh, so I'm going to move on to Antwerp, which I got to go to with my cousin from uh, that lives in Leuven. It's only about an hour away from there, from Leuven. So I mean, Bru- Belgium itself is a relatively small country when you compare it to a U.S. state <laughs> or a country like Germany. It's pretty small. So in Antwerp, you it is the diamond capital of the world and the biggest port in Belgium, also one of the biggest ports in, in Europe. You have a lot of industry going on there. And Antwerp, the name, is actually a great story, I think. Antwerp means hands throw, based on the story that this guy named Bravo slayed a giant by cutting off his hand and throwing it away, saving the city of Antwerp. So right in the, the marketplace of downtown Antwerp, you have a big statue of this guy Bravo throwing a hand. Not more more of a fountain than a statue, but it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting that this is where the name comes from. Very odd in my opinion, but uh it works for them, I guess. So I actually, I arrived, we didn't arrive by train, but my cousin wanted to take me to the train station first. This train station building is a, incredible. It's in a, done in a very old style with a huge hall. I could kind of see how maybe people went to this station to then design Grand Central Station in New York. Really incredible building. And that's not the only transit building in the city that's that's done up so nice. Also, the Port Authority of Antwerp was designed by uh, the famous I- Iraqi female architect Zaha. Somehow, put this huge glass structure on top of it that's over over the, double the size of the original building. So it's very cool architecture. I highly recommend looking it up. The Antwerp Port Authority, and I mean it makes sense because the, the port is, is so important in Antwerp. So they spent some good money and design to to really try to make it a, a centerpiece of the of the harbor area. But when I went over there, I mean, I work in shipping and I, I was interested to see the harbor, but that harbor is so massive. It's really hard to get a good view of that at one glance. I was driving around for about 30 minutes, I believe, trying to look for where you can get a good shot of the scope and the scale of the harbor, but it's too massive. Uh, it's a really, really big area that it covers. I guess more to that, they store a lot of, of the oil that comes into Europe in in, uh, in Antwerp. So you have silo after silo after silo all filled with oil, and that takes up a lot of land as well. So you have a, this sprawling harbor that it's quite crazy to see, but at the same time, you really can't ever get a full scope of it. You really need a car to go look around there. Uh, some other points of interest in, in Antwerp, as I would say, uh, the famous artist Peter Paul Rubens is from Antwerp. He is probably one of the most famous artists from all of Belgium. Um, and he has a house you can go visit, as well as uh, in the uh, church Our Lady of Antwerp, 
He made the stained glass, which is pretty cool. So highly recommend seeing those when you get there. Antwerp also has, like in other Belgium cities, lots of great places for fries. We had uh, good fries with gravy there to go see the Old Town Square, which this hand-throwing statue is in. And you kind of have a mix of buildings. The Old Town has these medieval style. And you get outside of the city and they built up more like late 1800 style huge buildings as well and some modern things too so you, you have a big mix in antwerp it's not like we didn't really talk about brussels that much architecturally speaking brussels has these kinds of mix as well but ghent and bruges and leuven are more of this traditional style and rebuilds of that after the world wars so i think that's i mean that's really all i have on antwerp and our whole belgian experience i hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today uh- so, Peter, I have a quick question yes. for you. So, you've been to every site that we talked about. Which one is your favorite? It's hmm. a good question. Uh, I have to go with you that I like Ghent the best. Ghent had just the, the best mix for me. Oh, actually, talking about uh, what Phil was mentioning about the Spa Grand Prix, Brussels rained every single day I was there. And it's known to be very rainy. Me and Patrick also, we, we didn't have the best weather. We had what, what, like one or two days that were really good. But we had a lot of rain when we were driving, uh, on and off. And one of them was in Ghent. Yeah, one of them was in Ghent, so that, that might have helped our impression of Ghent. But it was beautiful the day we were there. Yeah, yeah it was super sunny when we went to go see Ghent. But, but the, the mix of the city of Ghent, from what they have to offer, especially for tourists, definitely my favorite and the least crowded. I mean, Bruges is almost all tourists. Leuven is small. And really nice, but it's a lot smaller than Ghent. And you have a good size city with not so many tourists. And I, I think that that's a nice combination. Patrick, you actually just also reminded me by asking the question. So now I think it's time for our beer review. We were lucky enough this time to, as I'm in the U.S. right now, we were able to all have the beers together for this episode. So we ended up trying five beers from Belgium. Duvel, Delirium, La Chouf. I've heard it's pronounced Hugarden. <laughs> and Stella Artois. So uh, what'd you guys think? Love a good beer review. So we can start, I guess, one by one, probably be easiest. So yeah, the first one we had, I believe, was Duvel, Duvel, whatever. That was my favorite one for sure. It's just, yeah. kinda, I give it 9 out of 10. It's about as good of a beer as you can get. It's just really smooth, had a great taste. You know, I guess you can't really, I guess there's not too many details to go into, but I like it. It was, it was for me, it was the best of the five that we tried for sure. Duvel was also... It's, I mean, it's also one of my favorite beers in general. I didn't rate it as my favorite of the five, but I also gave it a nine out of, nine out of ten. It just it has has like a, a density to it, and it's a, a bit hoppy, uh, which is definitely also a subject to the the amount of alcohol in it, which which is over eight percent. But the, the the taste is really smooth, and you get a little bit of a bite at the end, which I think is it's really nice from Duvel. I like Duvel a lot too. I, I I agree with you. I don't think it was my it wasn't the favorite of the five, but I mean we're it's we're you know discussing a top you know five beers that are very top level so you know by no means is it a bad beer just because it's not the my favorite of the five but i really enjoyed it it was very smooth the bite at the end was like an i didn't expect it coming it sort of detracted from me from the beer personally i just thought it was so smooth and it didn't really need any type of a bite at the end but that's just my personal beer drinking habits but yeah it was a great beer oh i'd like to point out okay so for each beer we'll also say the the style of beer that it is and duvel is a traditional belgian ale the standard belgian style 
uh, high alcohol beer. So moving on to Delirium, what do you guys think? Um, so yeah, so the Delirium and was was not my favorite because it was a fruity beer. So you know, for those who like fruity beers, maybe my opinion good or relevant to right now. But I would give it maybe a five. I don't know. It's just I, fruity beers are just too bitter for me. If I wanted to drink something fruity, I'll drink like juice or something. You know, bike's hard. <laughs> but you know, for me, it just again, I don't, I don't think my opinion is that is that useful here because I'm just not a fan of fruity beers in general. But yeah, that's just me. With me, well, first I have to say that the the labeling, the the bottle itself, and the labeling, awesome. I think I love that pink elephant, and comes in like a giant. Well, you brought it. You brought it. You bought like a giant bottle. It almost looks like a wine bottle or something. So I'll give them 10 marks on the labeling. Yeah, I agree. I think the um, I think I wrote down that it's a, it would be a good summer beer potentially if you are like a you like fruity beers. It's like a bit lighter. It's like ref- more refreshing than say a darker beer or like a you know lager that isn't fruity but it wasn't my favorite i put it at like an eight out of ten or seven out of ten you know depending on the season so i I, i'll just say it i I love belgian beers so i also gave delirium a nine out of ten i think it's fantastic another high alcohol belgian ale and i guess delirium it it does it doesn't really have a bite to it at all so i think that's what patrick likes about the do fellas a little bit of a, a crispness to it makes it taste more like a beer the delirium goes down like water which is extremely dangerous and extremely high alcohol. So that can make a crazy, but I find Delirium a a really nice ale. And the fruitiness of it, I understand Patrick's point. Yeah, it is on the the fruitier side. And I guess, I mean, really with Belgian beer, you could, especially with the ales, it's usually a Dufel style or a Delirium style. You could kind of categorize them in in the two ways for the traditional ales. They either do have this crisp bite at the end, or a sweet finish like Delirium. So keep that in mind when you're buying Belgian ale. It won't all be the same kind of style. I feel like a, a categorization like lager or a pills, you kind of know more of what you're getting when you see the label. But a Belgian ale, you can, it kind of can go both ways. So our next beer is La Chouffe. What do you guys think? So for me, La Chouffe is similar to Delirium taste. Um, it's better. I, I do think it's a little bit better. It has a better taste to it. But it's also a little too fruity for me. This is the last time I'll say this. The next two beers do not have that <laughs> those connotations to them. But I, it's a little better. I, I'd give it a six out of ten. But again, it's just it's just not my style in general. So maybe for people who like you know fruitier beers, Phil and, and Peter's opinions might be more of use to you. So I guess I'll go on this one. I like Le Chouf a lot, actually. I don't know. There was something about it. Uh, it was smooth. It was very smooth. It was a good light beer, in my opinion. Also, another great bottle and label. It's uh, the old man or something. I'm like looking it up now just to make sure I'm talking about the right one. And I am. The gnome. The gnome. The gnome. Yeah, it looks like a Papa Smurf or something. If he had white hair or something. I don't I don't know. But no, yeah, it, that's so I liked it. it. I really like blonde ales. And I think it was a good I think It was a really good Belgian blonde ale. So, yeah, no, I, I'd give it probably a. Eight or nine out of ten. So I, I mean, because this is a subjective rating scale, La, La Chouffe is one of my favorite beers. If I was to pick five of my favorite beers, La Chouffe would be in the mix, definitely. So I give it a ten out of ten for me. It gets a, a, it's even smoother than Delirium, and the taste is is really good. I also would like to point out that with these three that we covered, Dufel, Delirium, and, and La Chouffe, there's more than just this beer from the brewery so they produce this 
They're like signature core beer. But Duvel, for example, they have a triple hop version, which is, I think, 12% alcohol, which actually is my all-time favorite beer, which is a crazy one. Very hard to find in the United States. Delirium also produces a dark beer and I think two others. Endless Shoof also has a hoppy, they call it a trip, uh, not a triple hop, but a triple. It's also a higher alcohol content version of the original Le Chouf. And those beers are a little bit darker, the hoppier ones. They're darker, sweeter, and hoppier. So the flavor becomes more complex, the amount of fermentation that goes into increasing alcohol content. So the, the three that we talked about are kind of the, the light version of uh, these three beers, if there was one, <laughs> a light version. They're still kind of heavy. So moving on to Hogard, what do you guys think? So I, 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 Hogarden, I guess was, it was, I found it really good because I feel like it was much different than the three that we had. I I believe it's a wheat, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's a wheat. So that, that taste was noticeable. So it was like a, it was like a, you know, a welcome difference because we had all those similar light blonde type beers back to back to back. When I had Hogarden, I definitely stood out. I don't typically like, I'm not typically a big wheat beer person, but I thought it was, you know, really good. And I would have it if I was in the mood, it would definitely be at the top of the list if I was going down the more wheat beer route. So I'd give it a seven out of 10 in total, but an eight out of 10 in the wheat beer category. Um, yeah. So I, I would give it the same rating as seven out of 10 for sure. That's good. A little twangy. Like Phil said, I'm also not a big wheat person, but it's not my least favorite type of beer for sure. So uh, it was good. It, it was it was fun. I didn't have any issues with it. Yeah, again, like I said, seven out of ten. So I I give it the same rating, seven out of ten. I do like it. It's smooth for our American listeners. If you guys know Blue Moon, Blue Moon, you could kind of say it could have been based on this. This is much older than Blue Moon, but it's a, it's in that atmosphere. Whole Garden definitely is a little more complexer, more complex of a taste than uh, than Blue Moon. But overall, I think it's good. But in regards to, uh, there's a whole kind of Belgian beer called Belgian wit beers. And that aspect, I think this is one of the more commercial ones, easier to drink ones. But as it goes, there, there's also the style of wheat beer in Belgium that's more similar to the uh, Dufel Delirium and Le Chouf that we drank. Or a little more, a little more intense of a flavor. Um, I really enjoy those. But this is, this is definitely a good like weekend beer, hot weather. It's nice refreshing so our last one we're going to talk about is stella artois this is old class what do you guys think well i had really never heard of it before the beer tasting i'm just joking yeah no of course the uh the classic post-college renaissance beer for many of our you know the natty light graduates who finally you know understand that there's more beer than than natural light and bush light but no i mean it's a classic i think i think americans are very well versed in stella as is so it's like sad to say but like i I mean the other ones that we tried you brought over were definitely like less known like my like it's like bias in the sense where it's like you're not going to say like when i was tasting the stella it wasn't like wow this is amazing because it's like I've, i've already had it so many times i mean it's a smooth beer it's, it's so consistent. Like, you know what you're going to be drinking every time you get it. So I would just give it like a 9 out of 10. You can't really, like, there's no weak point, I think, if you like those types of beers. Say that Stella isn't a good beer. If you're obviously more on the adventurous, want to try something new side, I would venture to saying, like, 
know, go get a Lashu for like a Duvel or something, like mix it up. But it's a great beer. So for out of the five, which one was your favorite? If you could say. If I were to choose one. Yeah, I would probably say Lashouf is my favorite. Looking back on it now. I mean, yeah. So if I, so to go on my last point, if I were to, if I had never heard of Stella before, would be probably my favorite. Just for the, for the mere fact of, you know, being like different and trying something new. I just think Lashouf, they're very, they're like, they're pretty much level in my head. But the tie goes to Lashouf just for being like a less known beer. So for me, my, so I guess to talk about Stella first, can't forget about that. I would give it a seven out of 10. For me, it's just, you know, not the greatest taste, not, you know, not the best beer by any means, but it's good. It's definitely a solid beer. Gets the job done. And as talked about already, it's, it's, you know, it's common beer here. It's kind of like Heineken where Heineken's not that popular in the Netherlands, but it's by far the most popular Dutch beer here. So there was a period of time where I, I think Peter brought Stella's over too much in college. So I got sick of them. But I hadn't had them in years. So, so if, if I told you at the height of my college experience, I probably would have given Stella a five. But having it again now, after like a couple years, it tasted a lot better to me, I think, you know, just because I, I just hadn't had it in a while. So it, it was kind of new again. So I would give it a seven. Yeah, I would give it a seven. I think it was solid. Out of the five, Duval was definitely my favorite, for sure. I gave it a nine. The next closest beer was a seven for me. So it's, just, it's really good. Duval, really strong, gets the job done. Good taste, so... Uh, Patrick, I, I'd also like to uh, add to, to Phil's point. In college, too, we, we drank a lot of Stella. I was particularly known for, for loving my Stella. I think it, it is an excellent beer. It's a lager. So, I mean, if I'm in the mood for a lager, a Stella is one of my go-tos. And that it's a great basic beer. There's not much complexity to it. On a, on a regular evening, if you want to just hang out with your friends and, and get a 12-pack of it, it's awesome. But if you're looking to... Uh, to go into um, a, a nicer kind of tasting evening or, or just enjoy something a little different. Le Chouf is definitely also my, my number one. So I think that wraps us our podcast up for today. I'd like to end with saying thank you for listening. We hope to continue on our schedule and doing a, a monthly podcast. The next location will be hinted at in our Instagram account. And if you don't follow us already, please follow us at borders underscore beers underscore bros. You can follow us there on Instagram. You can check out our podcast either on any platform. I'm sure you're listening to one of them now. But we also have a, a, a podcast hosting website that's bbb.buzzsprout.com. You could also feel free to check out our website. Patrick, you have the domain for that. Orders, beers, bros, no spaces, no underscores, dot wixsite.com slash bbab. So you can check us out there as well. And please, if you have any comments, recommendations, suggestions, feel free to email us at bordersbeersbros at gmail.com. Or you can direct message us on Instagram at well. as well. We'll get back to you uh, in a swiftly and timely manner. And once again, signing off today, we'd like to thank you for listening and uh, looking forward to, uh, to having you on our next episode. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you so much.